0: Another one prepared Beauty and the beast. Hello Hello everybody Merry Christmas
1: Merry Christmas this year
0: Yes, and boy, yes Do we do intend to actually release this one on
1: Christmas This is, uh Yeah, last year we had a Christmas cast that Look, we all know what happened uh, We got a little bit busy
0: We both got sidetracked For the exact same reason
1: Yeah yeah, last year we weren't able to get the Christmas cast out because uh, I had to get married and... Uh, I had to be
0: there. Well, not had to, you know, wanted to.
1: You were my videographer. <laughs> I'm your videographer slash groomsman. By the way, we should post a, a, a link to that video with this.
0: Oh yeah, gladly, gladly.
1: Yeah, I, I don't see any reason not to. It's public, so... Anyway, yeah, we had a, we had a busy la- year last year, but this year we're actually going to try and get this one out on Christmas. Uh, and, you know... That's kind of what, Christmas is kind of what caused us to choose this topic. Because, you know, you want to think about the holidays and you want to think about families. And what better way to do it than to look at the movies that defined our childhood.
0: Possibly the greatest family films of all time.
1: Yeah, when we, when we throw that comparison out there, we really are serious. We're looking at the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. These are, we're going to focus on four core movies uh, that are widely considered the cornerstones of it um those would be the little mermaid beauty and the beast uh aladdin and lion king but we're also going to look at the just kind of disney in general really i mean cause we are going to look at quite a few of the movies beforehand and quite a few of the movies afterwards
0: mostly within that one decade though yeah the and, decade we like to call the
1: 90s and really the five-year span i mean this is really what we're looking at is that five-year span um As I said, these are the movies that we think of when we think of Disney, is the best way to put it. These are what we think of when we think of the Disney movies of the 90s. This is not accidental. For those who are unaware, um, a key source that I'm going to be referring to here is the uh, wonderful documentary, which was put out by the Disney Corporation, uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, which looked at the uh, era of the uh, quote-unquote renaissance. Um, You know, again, I think a, a key reason... To do this is because, well We love these movies Uh, We kind of have alluded to this cast throughout the year Actually, if you listen back
0: Oh yeah, all the way, uh, as far back as the musical cast We Mm. did, I'm not sure if it actually Ended up on the recording But but we alluded to it
1: (laughs) I mean, we knew Y'all, when we say we know what we're gonna do Months in advance There's always a certain amount of wiggle room And we use it, believe me, we use it Um, But This this was one that was set in stone. So I suppose a good way of introducing it is to kind of set a little bit of the scene here. Um, uh, for those who are unaware, Disney in the 80s is kind of one of the sadder stories of the animation industry. I mean, it's the sad story. It it ends triumphantly, but boy, does it not begin on a good note. In the, let's say the first half, the like 1985 up to 1985 or so, Really they were flailing um, And really they'd been flailing in the 70s I think you would agree with me If you look at the Disney movies of the 70s A number of them just They're not as good One thing that we have to acknowledge Is that Disney live action in the 1970s Was pretty pathetic Disney live action before a certain point Was extremely pathetic Actually if you really stop and look at it
0: Yeah the 70s And we're only really looking at the animated features mm-hmm. Yeah, they had the Aristocats, which don't really care too much for. I don't either. Robin Hood, which was a good one. Robin Hood is uh,
1: really wonderful, actually.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, the main Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. The Rescuers, which is okay. Yeah. Just okay. Fox and the Hound, which is also, to me, just okay.
1: I like that one because I saw it in a re-release when I was a kid, but it's definitely a minor film. Yeah. I mean, it's very minor.
0: The Black Cauldron is extremely dirty
1: Is that one in 19 What's the date on that one?
0: That one is 1985
1: Okay When was uh, Fox and the Hound by the way? I didn't think that was quite 70s
0: No that's uh, Barely that's 81
1: Yeah that's 81 Uh, Black Cauldron by the way Was an epic debacle Uh, That was the first Disney Yeah first Disney movie ever to earn a PG They were ashamed of it
0: I can see why. It has some very risque material in it.
1: It does. I, enjo- um,
0: I enjoyed it for that reason when I saw it, but...
1: I think they were even threatened at one time with... I don't want to say they were threatened with an R, but they were definitely threatened over that movie. Here's the thing. We think of PG animated movies nowadays as nothing. We just accept it.
0: Yeah, it's normal now. The G-Raid movie is really the rare one nowadays yeah. for Disney.
1: I, I can think of very few G-rated movies in recent years, actually.
0: I'm pretty damn sure that both Tangled and Frozen have a PG.
1: Yeah, they do. They do. Um, And, admittedly, probably they deserve to. I mean, there are there is material in them. But, yeah, you don't... But, okay, PG animated movies are norm today. Just as, really, PG-13 movies are the norm for family movies in general. Guys, hold this thought, because we are coming back to it in a few months. Mm -hmm. We are coming back to the ratings board in a few months. Definitely. PG animated movies, that was the first time that happened. For, at least for Disney. That was the first time that happened for Disney. That's chronicled in Waking Sleeping Beauty, is what an absolute debacle it was. I mean, that was just an embarrassment for the uh, studio. And... It was kind of a case where they were lucky to get it out Um, That was a movie that was I think that was the first movie to come out Under the uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg tenure Oh yeah yeah yeah.
0: Who now for reference runs uh, DreamWorks animation Yeah
1: we're going to cover Katzenberg uh, Later on in this But okay This was the moment where This was basically the moment where Disney Had to kind of stare themselves in the mirror And go oh no this is not good the film tanked it is a tremendous money loser. I don't think it's ever turned a profit. I don't even think it did well on video. They held it off on video for eleven years, just to give a Really? Sign. yeah, they hit it. Disney was horrified by that movie
0: yeah i remember I remember when it came out on video, like they released it from the Disney Vault. I don't remember how they sold it,
1: but they tried i mean they just tried to sell it like any other movie um. But, yeah, it was, that one, as I said, that one stayed in the vault, and they still don't give it much treatment now. They still kind of ignore it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it sort of happened. I've never seen it, to be honest. Um,
0: it's it's fun. It's a good watch.
1: You know, I know they're embarrassed
0: about it, but they really shouldn't be that embarrassed about it. No. Like, not, it's, it's not Song of the South
1: bad. <laughs> something else that has to be talked about in this era is... In the early 80s, a group of animators left Disney, uh, led by Don Bluth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They left to form their own animation studio, and they released a couple of animated films in the 80s, including three that are actual classics, namely uh, Secret of Nim, uh, An American Tale, and uh, The Land Before Time. So that was kind of the situation that Disney found themselves in. The next film that we come to in terms of that era was The Great Mouse Detective, which they're not as ashamed of they actually keep that one in pretty good circulation that one's very popular with the fans because it's a riff on sherlock holmes
0: damn good one
1: yeah it is it's that's a fun one that's a that's a good one that's also one of the first times that you can really point to celebrity voice casting in disney films although i want to stress it did not start in the 90s look up louis prima for proof uh, that, that that that's been going on for years um but anyway, the 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 point is that yeah, a great mouse detective has Vincent Price as the villain. What more do you need to say? Yeah, that one actually <laughs> got a re-release in 1992 theatrically, which I didn't see and kind of wish I had seen. Uh, oh, nice. Me too. It's a good one. I f- fucking loved that movie as a kid. That was. That's a good one. As we come down the line. Disney did keep their. They did keep things alive with theatrical re releases, one a year of one of their animated movies. A trend that pretty much stopped about the time of the Disney Renaissance, actually. I mean, I think the last one that they gave any major to, beyond the 3D re releases, which I'm not going to count because they're their own separate thing, was Oliver and Company, which. Happens to be really the next film that we come to. My parents tell me that they actually saw 101 Dalmatians while Mom was pregnant with me. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it, it did yeah. get a theatrical re-release about that time. So, yes, that would have happened. Probably the first movie I ever saw in the theater was Lady and the Tramp uh, when that got a re-release. Um, and, of course, I attended most of the theatrical re-releases. Bambi, Peter Pan, 101 Dalmatians. Those were the three that... I, as I said, um, Fox and the Hound, uh, those left a mark on me. But really, we come to the movie in 1988 that I think is the kind of the harbinger of what was to come, and that's Oliver and Company. Yeah, starring Billy Joel. Yeah, and and Bette Midler. True. And Cheech Marin.
0: <laughs> true.
1: And I think. It's got actually a pretty good cast. It's actually got a very good cast and a young Joey Lawrence. Oh yeah, yeah. Before he became a teen idol, nice, and uh, then became whatever he is now. Uh, yeah, he was the voice of Oliver actually. Oh nice. That's that's a movie that left a deep scar on me. If if anybody wants to know when did I become a film fan, I point to that movie. That movie just captured me. I don't know why. I've it's funny to note. I haven't seen it since a second viewing in really? theaters. Since then, and I don't want to, honestly Understood I think I'll go back to it and I'll realize it's just not very good Um, I don't know I don't know, I don't I might. know. you might It won't be what it was, is the point So I, I let that one stay But uh, yeah, I've never actually seen it since 19 I think early 1989 was the last time I saw it And, hmm. you know, then you come to As I said, this was the movie that It actually did pretty well It did pretty well, but it didn't It didn't quite Explode, but it was kind of a sign of okay. There's some life in Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still kept it on the shelf for a pretty long time. It didn't actually see the video release until 1988. Really? Yeah. I hate that. See, I probably would have a very different opinion of the film, and you know, had I got had I grown up watching it. Yeah. Okay, we've gone through all of this setup. Here's the long and short of it. Uh, Katzenberg was determined to turn Disney back into what it was. He was tired of seeing this company sit around and it was decided okay enough is enough uh the animation department at disney is the men working in that department at that time are geniuses um you've got so many great ones uh glenn keen who uh recognized the last name yes connected to that uh, to the uh, family circus keens hmm. yeah he's uh oh that's funny yeah he's the uh cre- he's the original artist of that strip's son Oh, nice. Yeah. You had this wealth of talent at Disney in, the, in at this point in the 80s of guys who were really in it, who were really passionate, and it was decided, okay, let's really go in and let's really get back to our roots. It was time to get back to fairy tales. It was time to get back to... Because that's, that's the thing. If you look at this era of Disney, that's what's missing, is the classic stories. That's true. Three of the four movies that we're going to discuss in depth are based on classic iconic stories and really the fourth one is too yeah but you know that's what you had in this era was Disney was they were ready to come back to life and as I said that's what waking sleeping beauty is about is their decision to do it and that brings us to as I said little mermaid
0: this might be the first film I saw in theater
1: that's 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 a good one that's a good one um this is a movie for which they put their all into it the, the um uh, animators were bound and determined to do something special um
0: there's even a little computer animation in the film
1: there's a little bit of computer animation i'm just gonna say right now if you watch this movie compared to the other disney movies of the 80s no matter what you think about the rest of it it looks completely different from where disney was in the 1980s honestly you're never gonna see an art of the great mouse detective or an art of um, Oliver and Company. They're good movies. They're they're fun movies, but they're not very they're not all that pretty to look at, frankly. Yeah. Character animation is very rough. It's cartoony. This is a lush movie to look at, and I mean it's just so no matter what else you think about the movie, and I think a few people are are starting to feel a lump in their throats. Um, <laughs> yeah. I might have some comments on the movie that might make you angry. Warning. No matter what else you want to say about the movie, it is a gorgeous-looking movie. The big thing that has to be stressed about this movie is that this was it was also decided it was time for Disney to get back to the musicals.
0: Oh, thank Christ for that. Yeah. I mean, Oliver and Company sort of kind of was, but that's only because Billy Joel.
1: Yeah. Honestly, a lot of their movies in the 80s, when they had music, was kind of incidental. It was usually diegetic actually yeah you had a lot of diegetic music in it um like i think that was how melissa manchester's work was integrated into the great mouse detective was it was diegetic disney their their success came from musicals and oh do i want to underline that point disney's success came from musicals if you look back i mean we didn't really ta- we didn't talk at all about the classic era of Disney, but I mean, what 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 else do you say? I mean, Snow White, uh, Pinocchio. Pinocchio was the first movie Roger Ebert uh, has said he saw in theaters. Oh, really? Yeah, that's kind of all you need to say about Pinocchio. Cinderella, which I I actually did see that one in theaters. Um, I'm I mean, if you look at these movies, the songs are iconic. The Jungle Book.
0: You can list off these movies and uh immediately think of a song from that movie
1: and disney had gone away from that to that end they needed to find well songwriters they needed to find people to work with that's when they wound up uh going to two guys who had had a success with a musical off broadway based on a roger corman film how many times do i have to say this when you go in the world of film things are going to keep coming up so there's another corman reference um (laughs) The stage musical Little Shop of Horrors was, of course, a huge hit. The film has lived on. And it was the uh, guys that composed the music for that movie, uh, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, that were brought in to do the songs for The Little Mermaid. And God, what, what, what... uh, Again, I think it's telling that I can't name a single song from Oliver and Company.
0: Yeah, I can, but only because I know the trailer more than I know the movie.
1: Well, I know that Billy Joel has a song in the movie that I vaguely remember, Uh, but you can list off every single one of these songs from this movie. You remember all of them. Um, I mean, you start off with the fact that one of the smart things they did was to kind of play up with a little bit of different styles of music in it. You you have uh, your traditional ballad. The number that everybody thinks of is Under the Sea.
0: Of course. I always think of Part of Your World.
1: Yeah, Part of Your World is one of the great That's one of the great stories that's in that documentary Which I'm, again, I'm really strongly recommending to people
0: I do believe we mentioned in uh, the feminism cast That that was almost cut because a kid dropped his popcorn
1: Yes, this is true In the In the test screening And because everybody involved with that movie was so attached to that number They said, no, let's recut the movie and let's you know, we'll fix the pacing, but this number is not the problem, and they were right, because because can you imagine *The Little Mermaid* without that number?
0: No, it would be it would be it wouldn't make that much sense. You just
1: you your heart goes out to this character when she's singing this number. You really relate to her. You really understand what she feels and what she thinks. It's what's referred to as the "I want" song in musicals.
0: Yeah, without it, she like she still has the motivation, but the passion isn't there.
1: Yeah. Uh, I believe this was the first thing that uh, Jodie Benson did uh, in her work as uh, the voice of Ariel was to go in and do this. I think this was the first thing she did. And she just absolutely swings for the fences with it. It is a vocal performance that... I don't know I mean I I hate to say that it's an underrated vocal performance because it is iconic but I don't think she gets enough credit for how much she sells it Uh, she's a voice actress who worked constantly in the 90s on a number of projects that weren't nearly as good as this one which we will be getting to later on down the road but on this one she just really she puts so much passion and feeling into it and it's such a great number it's so well written and it's beautifully animated I mean Again, this is such a beautiful film. You you can't you can't do this movie without these two num- without this number. And under the sea, on it's funny because the numbers that everybody thinks of are this and under the sea.
0: Under the sea is really the um, it's the status. It's what I like to call the status quo song. Mm-hmm. It's the one that sets the tone that says this is how things are. Yeah. So I mean, it's,
1: it's I don't know. It's an important song, but it's not really. It's. It's more that it's just such a fun number. It's, it's the it fun is. of how it's put together. And it makes a good case. I, that's what's kind of funny. is The two numbers put them side by side. They make an equal case for both sides. And it really kind of serves to give the character some strong inner conflict. It does. It does. Oh, that's one of the fun things about this movie. That was another thing that Disney decided. It was like, okay, it's time to get back memorable characters. Which finally happened with this movie. I mean... Mm-hmm. Again, I like Oliver and company But I would be lying to tell you years later That I really remember any of the characters all that much Yeah But these characters are iconic I mean, they're just They're such fun, funny characters They're fundamentally in our archetypal You know, as film buffs They're iconic Especially Ursula Oh, yeah She is such a great villain mm-hmm. She is such a great campy i mean she was designed after divine okay right she is a campy over the top badass owns it she's awesome i mean she's just awesome to a certain degree you almost want her to win over triton because he's kind of he's kind of a jerk he's kind of a stick in the mud yeah he, he is that he is that and The film also has one of the first times that you had an actual well-written love interest in the form of Prince Eric. Not just a pretty face. Like, pay attention to how he's written. He's shown as someone who... He's a prince, but he's of his people. He's a dedicated sailor. He's a nice guy. He's a fun, rough-and-tumble individual, and we do like him. I can't tell you anything about the prince in Sleeping Beauty... And I just watched a movie that tried to flesh him out earlier this year.
0: Which, by the way, I, I have now seen that film also. We're going to go for a, a little to
1: talk. <laughs> let's, we're going to talk about that after this, because I really do want to oh, discuss yeah, yeah. this movie. But, you know, you see what I'm saying. Eric is he's actually a good character. He's actually a solidly written character. Okay, so maybe the lump in the throat wasn't necessary. There really is a lot about this movie that I, I think is great. If I have any real problems with the movie, it's that I don't know that the ending completely works for me. Like, I don't know that it it works that it's an all-or-nothing choice for Ariel. And I also feel like she kind of goes a little bit passive in the finale. It's uh, Eric that winds up saving the day. True, he does. Not so high on that. It just doesn't quite work. Yeah. But, I don't know, man, that's, that's kind of a minor complaint for me, really. But as I said, there is so much good there. I mean, I love Scuttle, this crazy seagull with all these bizarre theories. <laughs> yeah, as to uh, uh, how human stuff works. Voiced by the great Buddy Hackett. I mean, just a wonderful character.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if that's
1: what uh, who Mr. Weasley was based on. Yeah, there really is a lot of him in there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's just it. The movie's fascination with the human world is fun and i'd be lying to say this movie didn't leave a deep impact on me in terms of the idea of thinking about the world at large with a sense of awe mm-hmm. i mean that's kind of what this movie does is it forces you to step back and imagine how our world would be to somebody who is an outsider and how amazing it can be No, now the more that the more that i talk about this movie the more that yeah i realize i really do love this movie yeah as i said it's just so gorgeous to look at it really, it's it, it, it really, it's, it's 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 a unique film in that way. Uh, this was this was a blockbuster for Disney. Very short version is this was an absolute juggernaut for Disney. I don't have the box office figures on it. This was the movie that told the world Disney was back. with The vengeance. Huge, huge financial hit. Let me let me look up.
0: The box office for. Yeah,
1: please do, because I kind of want to know that, because that's an important figure. And get the box office for Oliver and Company while you're at it.
0: Little Mermaid
1: has.
0: Holy crap, wow. Lifetime was 111 million, and Oliver and Company has a lifetime gross of 74 million.
1: Okay, that's not as big of a jump, actually, as I thought. That's surprising. That actually surprises me. Okay, so I guess we have to kind of step back and restate our figures here a little bit, because I didn't realize that. Um,. That surprises me, because that because in the public perception, I was expecting it to be double. Yeah. 25-30% doesn't feel like the huge epic shift that it's made out to be in the history books. Yeah. That's, that's not, that, I mean, that's obviously a huge improvement that you can notice, but that doesn't seem like that big of an improvement to rewrite the history books of, an, you know, animation. That's interesting, that's interesting.
0: The other part of that is, you know, you know, public perception kind of trumps box office numbers.
1: Well, I mean, you have to you have to factor in Oliver and Company didn't go to video for eight years. L- Little Mermaid went to video within a year. Oh yeah, Little Mermaid they actually kind of pounded the ground to get that in, on video. But I mean, that is interesting, and I think that that's probably the difference. There is that video. Um, as I said, Little Mermaid was an, that's another thing. That movie exploded just absolutely if any movie proved what the video market could do that was the movie um that was the first disney animated movie i believe to go to video after its release and not stay in the vault hmm. so wow I, but i mean as i said yeah that's i mean this is interesting some releasing history for y'all uh in case anybody's unaware i am a huge releasing buff i'm fascinated by releasing
0: it's become interesting in the last few years
1: it has been and we could do an entire cast on that we may yet um Oh yeah, and you know, 111 million—that's—and yet in. that's not factoring in for inflation. Right, right. With inflation, I'm sure it's really something.
0: Just for contrast, the uh, the opening numbers uh, Oliver and Company is four million, and Mulberry is six million. Again,
1: that's still not the epic change I was expecting. That's big, but but again, that's also probably because I'm thinking in terms of modern numbers. In terms of those numbers, that was probably a really seismic shift. That's the problem—is that we're thinking in modern numbers where the difference isn't all that big. But but anyway, we we digress, um, we have yet we have several films yet to go to. And really honestly, I am not as passionate I I really as I said, I really love Little Mermaid, but I'm not as passionate about it as I am the other films we're gonna get to. Yeah. Let's address nineteen ninety quickly, because it's kind of taken it's kinda of treated as the year that as I said, in the critical eye, Disney was back. Little Mermaid was an enormous hit, merchandising, blockbuster, etc. So in 1990, Disney almost took the year off in people's eyes. Not so. Not so. I disagree. And uh, the day before I did this, I actually watched uh, Doug Walker did a review of one of these movies that I think gets... Oh, good. It kind of gets a little bit of underrated uh, here. DuckTales the movie is... It's the first of a very limited number of movies that Disney did under their TV animation studios... disney toon studios yeah that got theatrical release oh my god this movie was an event movie for me as a little kid (laughs) i i loved ducktales and truthfully watching uh the footage that walker had in his review really reminded me just how good this movie looked i need to see it if you're a ducktales fan you'll really enjoy it oh i was a huge ducktales fan (laughs) it is definitely a minor film next to the rest of it and Something that I kind of almost forgot is that really, it's the opening scenes that look really good. Then the animation kind of decays quickly. Really? Yeah, you kind of notice that's it. That's too bad. You kind of notice that. Uh, you kind of notice they almost went a little overboard in the opening scenes, and then it kind of drops back more towards standard animation. that's something I didn't notice as a kid, but did as an adult as so I was watching this footage. But it's a good-looking movie. It's a fun movie. If you're a DuckTales fan, it, it is good, and it kind of it's underrated in the canon. As I said, it's not officially a Disney animated movie because it wasn't produced by their studios. But yeah, it's it's one I like. The ne- the other movie, however, is officially a Disney animated movie and still gets underrated in their canon. Still underrated, yeah. The Rescuers Down Under was another event film for me, and I just absolutely love this movie.
0: I, I love the shit out of it as a kid. I still love the shit out of it. It is fantastic. I saw this before I saw Rescuers.
1: I saw Rescuers and was a little disappointed. Yeah, because Rescuers isn't nearly as good as this one. Okay, again, we talk about how celebrity voice casting, everybody acts like this was something new. Bob Newhart was yeah. one of the voices in The Rescuers. This one This one is just an absolutely gorgeous to look at film. It's got a great voice cast, Um, Bob Newhart, John Candy does a quick voice in it.
0: Mm, Yeah, he does.
1: Let's see, Ava Gabor, George C. Scott is the villain. Yeah, Patton. Yeah, so this this is, as I said, this is a gorgeous movie to look at. It's just, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so beautiful to watch. Um, The animation, this is really where they were starting to play with computers, but because it was a sequel, I think people kind of overlook it. It's It also came after The Little Mermaid, so Sophomore Slump set in. It's also important to stress, this was a movie that kind of came from the er- earlier regime. This was kind of a leftover, yeah. which happens. A lot of times when you'll see studios go through a shift, you'll notice that they'll have a film or two that kind of gets spit out and don't really fit the narrative that they're trying to craft uh, because, you know... That's how studio politics work. They did a good job with this one. They also released it with a theatrical short, uh, a Mickey Mouse version of uh, the Prince and the Popper.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Mm.
1: Which I saw both in theaters. Nice. It's it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's, that's 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 a fun little short. Um, I'm a Mickey Mouse junkie for life. As I said, this one gets overlooked. It shouldn't be. Um, if you haven't seen it, please do watch it. It's it's so much fun. We don't get to dwell too long on their disappointments financially, and this one wasn't a financial disappointment, because we've got a hit on the monster. hmm And this is one that I've actually seen very recently um, in theaters, actually. Same. Disney decided, okay, internally, with Little Mermaid obviously a hit, Disney was ready to try it again. They were going to try and swing for the fences again and try and top Little Mermaid. And the movie they produced, I really, if you want me to be honest, I think it's the best of the four films that we're going to discuss in this era.
0: It's, it's pretty damn near perfect.
1: This is also a case where you'll always hear stories about how studio executives don't know that they have a hit until release. That didn't happen here. No, Disney knew early on that they had a huge honking hit in this movie. To the point where they took it to the New York Film Festival and showed an earlier an early cut of it. That wasn't finished because they could not wait to get this one out the door.
0: I do believe that cut is now included on most of the modern DVD releases. Good DVD Blu-ray releases. It's called a work in progress version.
1: If, if you listen to anybody who worked on this mo- on Beauty and the Beast talking about how they felt about this movie, you just you have this sense that they knew they were onto something, and it really does show because, as I said, this this uh, this movie is incredible. <laughs> they had wanted to do a Beauty and the Beast movie for years and could not pull it off. Uh, they just they couldn't get it going. And, um, you know, as I said, when the fairy tales got kind of sidelined, this one kind of got sidelined too. But they, you know, after Little Mermaid, as I said...
0: Really, thank God they waited, though.
1: And, it, and probably to say after Little Mermaid probably isn't accurate. I mean, they obviously started development before Little Mermaid was released. But this was really them... I am glad that they waited because this was really them doing going all out. Really, this one i think—the thing to start with is Belle herself.
0: <laughs> That's such a great character. Her her song uh, at the beginning is one of my favorites ever, and I will—I'll catch myself seeing it every once in a while, just out of no, you know, just for no reason, out of nowhere.
1: It's so great because you are immediately sold that this is a character who is a. There is no scene in this movie where Belle puts up with anybody's garbage. No. She is a character who, of the three Disney quote unquote princesses of this day, she's easily the strongest. She's the one who just, even when she's put into peril, it's only because it's extreme peril that can't really get out of. She's smart and she actually acts like she's smart. She's hyper literate, she's constantly reading.
0: The way she masterfully deflects Gaston, she's not having any of his shit.
1: And the beautiful thing about that is that even though she's treated as this literate, reading girl, Gaston is, t- is still completely hot for her. It's it's funny, you don't even realize how this movie is inverting that stereotype. Mm-hmm. In the modern movie, she'd be the glasses girl, the geek. Yeah. But no, no, Gaston's not blind. He's still looking at her, and he's still hot for her. Even though she is, personality-wise, everything he doesn't want, and really, that's probably the appeal for him, is he can get any woman he wants, and here's the one that doesn't want him. Of course he wants her more. Oh, Gaston is such a great villain, too. His
0: song is also one of my favorites.
1: Have you heard Hugh Jackman's version of it?
0: Yes. I do believe we actually had it in one of the casts. Yes,
1: I think we did, yeah. Gaston is such a great character. He's such a great character. So is... Of course, the Beast. The Beast is such a rich character. Because here is a man who has lost his hope. He has lost all hope of anything ever getting better at the end of this movie. That's chilling. He He's someone who just... Really, he's guilt-haunted when you get right down to it.
0: Yeah. He's, he's formed this uh, shell around himself, uh, much like the, the glass shell-protecting... Yeah, you know, the rose that is basically his life force. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not letting that up uh, for anything.
1: Mm-mm. It's such an interesting dynamic that you have there. Um, you have his servants who are, of course, great characters in and of themselves. Yes. The wonderfully swooning and leering Lumiere who, for Law & Order fans, really try and wrap your minds around this image. That was, uh, he was voiced by Jerry Orbach from that show Yeah
0: And of course, uh, I do believe the clock is uh, David Arnold Stiers Yes, yes, yes it was Of MASH and other fame Yeah such a, such a diverse actor, everything I've seen him in, he's wildly different
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in, he's in this, of course Angela Lansbury as the teapot horse and, oh, she's she's just wonderful in it. She has a gorgeous singing voice. She really does. I and mean, of course, she's a legend of stage and such, so it's not a surprise, yeah. but still, she's so good in it. Ah, oh, you just... These characters, there's just so... And this is... This is a movie that got... This was one of the two, two of the cell-drawn animated movies that got a 3D re-release.
0: Yeah. A gorgeous one at that.
1: This is a movie where... When they did the remaster of it into 3D, every single point that they could put some texture on, they did. hmm If you have the chance to get the Blu-ray 3D, I've heard that the transfer carries over. I've heard it absolutely looks explosive in it. It's just, there's a point in the movie where Gaston's chin seems to have angles to it. Like, it seems to have depth to it. That's just how good the 3D was on this movie. Mm-hmm. God, talk about, if if The Little Mermaid is a good movie to look at, this movie is a feast. You just, every frame could be studied. Yeah,
0: well, I think one of the richer musical pieces visually in there is Be Our Guest.
1: Oh, yeah. And what a wonderful number, too. And I mean, there's just so much going on in this number. Disney, they pushed themselves to the limit on this movie. And it it shows. This was the first animated movie ever to be nominated for Best Picture, and uh, interestingly enough, the only reason that I'm not more annoyed that it lost is because the film that it lost to is one of the more iconic films of its day, um, Silence of the Lambs.
0: Well, that's quite a contrast.
1: Yeah, but you can't really argue that uh, Silence of the Lambs has faded from public view.
0: Of course not. Oh, God. The Hamble Lecter has a current-running TV series, for God's sake.
1: And I've heard that's absolutely incredible. I've heard that's one of the yeah. best things on television. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's great.
0: It's on network television, I've heard it does not tone down anything.
1: Oh, that reminds me. Amanda's looking for a new show, and I know that that's on Amazon Instant Video. I may tell her to watch that. There you in fact, go. In fact, I'm really going to tell her to watch that. But, again, Beauty and the Beast, it it was re-released in 3D a few years ago, and I took Amanda to see it, and it just, oh. it the, Especially, one of the things that, that really has to be noted is that it makes sense that, that would look good in 3D. Because they were trying out a lot of new techniques in this movie. And that's what you do with good 3D, is you try stuff. Yeah. You bring out the
0: depth that is inherent in the frame.
1: I I don't want to say that animated movies never looked better than this one. It's just that I don't want to not say that. I don't know that Right. I don't know that it's unfair to say that this was kind of the state of the art. Again, the next two movies that we're gonna discuss are still great looking movies, but I just I don't know. This one's unique. This one is, it's it's special. Is the really the only way to put it is that this is a special movie. It, again, this was another just a blockbuster for Disney. Uh, I saw it in theaters on initial release, and I saw it on the re-release. One of the things is that's great is the ending. Yes, 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 yes.
0: Like after he transforms and she has like fully fallen in love with him and breaks the spell, her initial reaction is very interesting.
1: And probably makes the movie. I agree. Yeah, because if you watch it, she's like, she's not sure for a few moments. She's not sure what to think of him, and they hold that longer than you would expect. I mean, and what finally gets it is she sees his eyes.
0: Right, exactly. And you know, any other movie, he'd transform, and the girl would be like, "Oh, thank God." No, that's you know, she
1: she fell in love with the beast. You know why they did that, by the way? What is that? It's a nod to Jean Cocteau, who, by the way, let's face it, Disney probably owes him a little bit of a debt because they kind of ripped off his version wholeheartedly. Uh Yeah, they they ripped off a lot from Jean Cocteau, and I'm probably mispronouncing that. But um, in the original version, it was kind of established that the, uh, you know, but it was kind of felt that the audience was disappointed by seeing the human beast. After they'd fallen in love with the Beast Beast. Really? So, that that was kind of something that was a little bit of their nod back to that, yeah.
0: That's really cool, actually.
1: So, th- I don't know that that was exactly their intent, but it's what they wound up doing, so. But this movie has one big controversy that we really need to vent about for a moment. Look,
0: people, she just not have fucking Stockholm Syndrome. This is not how Stockholm Syndrome works. Not even remotely.
1: Keep in mind, we're the guys who are quick to point out when something is wrong and icky. If anything I think it kind of goes in the inverse way. She doesn't change is the thing. She really doesn't change who she is. She doesn't stop being herself. Uh her her arc is
0: his arc basically. Mm-hmm. And you know, she she stays there completely voluntarily. Like the beast does not give her the option of staying there.
1: Uh, she just says, "If I stay here, will you let my father go?" Mm-hmm. And that's a very key point. Now, admittedly, some would argue that, well, that's not really much of a choice, but it is her choice, and it's a it's a sacrifice out of love is the is the big point of that. The reason that they fall in love is because they have time together, and because she affects him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't affect her. He doesn't change her. She changes him, and that's made extremely clear in the film. We're quick to point out when something is wrong, it's not wrong here. Their relationship is really quite beautiful. Yeah. So just, no, no, that's that's not this film at all. No. God, this, this movie holds up beautifully. Okay, so that was 1991. We don't have to wait very long for Disney to uh, come back and fire on all guns. 1992 brought us Aladdin.
0: Yeah, I think this was my favorite back in the day.
1: It was my favorite back in the day. I don't know that it is now. I think I appreciate the more adult elements of Beauty and the Beast more. Yeah, same. But, God, Aladdin's wonderful. I mean, I'm sorry, if y'all are looking for this to be a hate cast, you know what you're getting into when you see what it's about. Let's put Robin Williams' work in the movie aside for a moment, because that's what all anybody ever talks about. Yeah. And it's not like we're not going to hit on that, but let's put that aside for a moment. I just kind of want to put that aside for a second. God, everything else about this movie works. Yeah, well, William's voice is the
0: first you hear, but his character isn't introduced until like a good maybe third of the way in.
1: Yeah, and he is a supporting character. Let's not kid ourselves; he's a deus ex machina, but he's a supporting character. Yeah, he is not the one who drives this story. Uh, the one that drives the story is Aladdin himself, and he's really a very vibrant hero. He's very much the guy who's trying to do his best.
0: Yeah, with with
1: what he has, poor homeless very kind and caring there's that beautiful scene where he gives the, uh, his food to the kids yeah much to his monkey's disgust hmm he's just trying to get by
0: yeah and of course you know part of that is he knows what it's like what that's like you
1: know so of course and that's that's something that I really love about this movie is that he is again he is this figure that you're just you, you pull from um, he's matched in that with uh, Jasmine who is such a great she's a great heroine Disney, once they, they got into the bell mode, they didn't get out of it. Yeah. She's also someone who's not having anybody's shit. No, um, she has to be married off, because that's how, the sh- that's how the shit works. She has to get married off. Her father's a good man, but he's still bound by tradition. So, she has to be married off. She doesn't want it. She wants to be loved for who she is. She also dresses so anachronistically that I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i'm just i had to point that out let's face the facts um she's 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 a great character she's strong and the scene where she and aladdin meet is just wonderful because you really you, you see a spark the thing about it is you don't believe that these two should get married right away but you believe that they should hang out some more yeah yeah you know, that's actually one of the great criticisms of the tv show is that aladdin and jasmine aren't married yet huh. uh no no let them have some time
0: just like they say in Frozen, you know, you don't marry a guy that you just met. No,
1: no. With, with <laughs> and so I kind of like that they they took some time to get married. Um, but you do like you like them together. They're a good couple together. And uh, oh man, you talk about great villains again. Just like with Gaston and Ursula, Jafar is awesome. Oh yeah. In fact, when they did the recent stage musical for him, they couldn't find an actor who could capture uh, Jonathan Freeman's voice as well. Oh, really? Yeah. They they struggled with that. Uh, now, Freeman looks nothing like Jafar. And they just wound up saying, screw it, Jafar doesn't look like that anymore, and got Freeman to come back. So for this oh, nice. for the stage musical, he did Jafar a little bit. I don't know that he did stayed with it for all that long, but he, he did it. He did return to it. That's perfect. Uh, oh, Jafar is such a hes such a terrifying villain. If Ursula and uh, Gaston are goofy, you know, and campy, but not really all that intimidating, because you really, you don't suspect that they could cross any lines, Jafar crosses lines. Oh, hell yeah, he does. And we have to address the subtext. He wants to marry Jasmine himself. Guys, the movie makes it pretty clear he doesn't just want to marry Jasmine for her title. He wants... He
0: wants to do more things.
1: Yeah. No, uh, it's it's not even subtle that his interest in her is his interest in her. I have no trouble with that. I have no trouble with that. That that actually kind of makes his character scarier. It does. It makes his character darker. Notice that when he uh, gets when he gets control of the lamp, what's one of the first things he does? Puts her in a slave girl outfit. Make her fall in love with me. It's just. It's just it's 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 wrong. There's definitely something creepy there, and he, he's he's a great character. Um I love the Sultan. He's so lovable.
0: He is. As ignorant as he is.
1: He's well meaning, but he's not yeah, exactly yeah. established, you know. You also have the great animal sidekicks. Oh yeah. First exposure to um Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, yeah oh, is that kind of an amazing thought, but it is true, and he's good in it. he's really good in it as Iago. He's good. He'll forever be Iago to me, which just means that Iago is kind of a racist bastard now. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We never heard Iago say anything like that, but didn't we kind of suspect he was kind of a racist bastard? Oh yeah, I think we kind of did. And then of course, Abu is voiced by voice go- voice acting god Frank Welker. Mm, Frank Welker. I did not know that, but I kind of knew that. Yeah, well, Welker is a funny case. Although he's always credited for his amazing animal voices, you know, he's he's done a lot of stuff where he does speak English too. I mean, he's Megatron.
0: Watch Futurama for God's sake. Yeah, he is Megatron. But yeah, if you want if you want to see his range, watch him go from to
1: less. Our Kitten-class attack ships were no match for their mighty chairs. Yes, uh, as Nibbler. He voices Nibbler, period. So that means that when you hear Nibbler making his animal noises, that's him. When you hear Nibbler talking in his impossibly smooth baritone voice, that's also him. That's awesome. I just... and, and, And really... Just making animal noises is not that simple. And Welker shows it, because he's so good. And if you ever listen to the Simpsons commentaries, they praise the hell out of
0: him. You know, they say, uh, without overdubbing, he can do a cat and a dog fighting.
1: Welker is great. Again, the movie is gorgeous to look at. This is, it's so beautiful. There's a lot of, of course, uh, Arabian-inspired architecture in the film. It looks great. The character designs are great. The music, this was kind of a sad moment. Uh, Howard Ashman died before Beauty and the Beast came out. Oh. Mencken teamed with Tim Rice for this movie. Legendary Broadway lyricist uh, for this. And the songs are iconic, too. Okay, let's get to Williams.
0: This is probably his iconic role.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is what people will always think of when they think of Williams. Uh, Which is great. It is great. Because he is so... They actually, a lot of his dialogue was improvised, and they knew that going in. Is this one of those cases where they videotaped him and kind of used his mannerisms? I believe they did. I believe they did, yeah. If they didn't, they clearly did. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Williams throws everything he has into this performance, and I've never seen anything like it. I mean, he's just, it's unique. In terms of voice acting... This is the moment where people stood up and realized, oh, oh, voice acting can be something really special. Part of what helped was that Williams had a notorious disaster open about the same time uh, with toys. For that one, just go to the great How Did This Get Made episode on it. If you haven't listened to it, it's hysterical. Big fan of that episode. Uh, But as I said, what happened with with this movie was that Williams, he actually had it in his contract that they couldn't do much promotion with it with his name on it because of the fact that he had toys coming out at the same time and so it was kind of a fairness deal it was a yeah i want to be fair well yeah that that eventually got that eventually got broken um williams would not come back to voice the character again for several years and etc but let's ignore all that. that that's all still in the future Ah, uh, so that's why yeah. uh, he didn't come back for the second, I see Yeah, that's... We're gonna get to the second in a moment But, um... Of course Williams... I don't... I mean, what more do you say? This performance is electrifying Um... No, no further than Friend Like Me It's just... Oh, it's, it's... It's unlike... I mean, what I can't even... I don't even know what to say I mean, it's just... Listen to it It's... It's alive and he it, he gives it his all. Williams is an interesting case. I I don't think it's fair to really say that he was a celebrity voice actor that was brought in. I believe Williams is the greatest voice actor who also did face work. Yeah. He if if all he had ever done was voice work, he would have been a legend in that field. I have no doubt of that. His skill is just I don't know, I mean, it's just it's off the chain. I gotta use that stupid phrase. Off the chain. But 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 what <laughs> else I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's we we addressed this in a cast that I wish we hadn't had to address earlier this year, but Williams he, he's yeah. an iconic character in this movie for a reason. And he's a character you really love.
0: You're you're on board with this guy. It's not just it's not just silliness too, like there is
1: real emotion there. No, he really conveys the sadness that this guy feels in that he is a slave. Mm-hmm. You know? He's frustrated. He... He has dreams of his own that he hasn't gotten to live out. Okay, why he winds up coming right back to the same people actually <laughs> makes sense. Actually makes sense because he really likes them. and He really cares about them. I would, if I had infinite freedom, yeah, I'd still try to hang around the people that I liked. So it makes sense. I, I'll, I'll accept that one. If this movie has a problem, it's one that we do kind of have to address. And that's the racism. Yeah. This one has some kind of unsettling racial undertones that can't be overlooked. They had to revise the movie when it came to video, darkening Aladdin and Jasmine's skin a little bit because it was. Oh, did they really? Yeah, because it was rightly pointed out they were a little too light-skinned. Nowadays, so it'd be called whitewashing or race bending. Yes, it would be. And you also have the r- lyrics to Arabian Nights were changed, and they needed to be. Oh, I come from a land from a faraway place where the caravan camels roam. Where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. It's a little too dark for a kid's film. It's home. way too dark for a kid's movie. Um, They had to do it. I mean, they just had to do it. Um, I I do agree. I think that the racial issues on this movie are a little unnerving. It would be nice if Aladdin and Jasmine looked a little more Arab, frankly. Jasmine, she's a step closer in the right direction. Aladdin, really not. No um, Aladdin looks pretty white American He looks Californian frankly All you had to do was put him in shorts And you know give him a surfboard Yeah But I don't disagree I think that that's a fair criticism But it's not one that breaks the movie No This was, a, this was for Disney this was their third Of their major films In this era to just be huge And now we have to pause And kind of address um, What happened in 1993 Disney did not release a movie in 1993. Touchstone did. They released The Nightmare Before Christmas, and it did not do so well. It was an underperformer at the box office, big time.
0: Uh, Lifetime gross is 75, with the opening being 191,000. Well, it it opened in limited release. That's true, it did. I do remember it did. Yeah. Uh,
1: Nightmare Before Christmas was not a huge performer, and who even believes that now? Yeah. That was one that was redeemed with time, ironically, it became a merchandising juggernaut when, in fact the uh initial merchandise was so disastrous in sales that no company the next time that Disney tried to come to uh people with a new style of animation, they't nobody would invest in it. nobody would do merchandise with it, and a small company wound up getting the rights. Everything on
0: the uh, wiki on the wiki list I'm looking at. Says Walt Disney, except for this one, which says Skellington Pictures.
1: Yeah. This was, this was, as I said, Disney, they released it under the Touchstone label. They did not, they wanted to divorce themselves from it. We've already hit on our thoughts on this movie on another cast. If you want our thoughts, go look up the horror cast. We talked about it there. We love this movie. Disney does now, too. (laughs) Yeah, yes, because Disney, Disney did wind up reclaiming the movie and re, and, uh, Starting with the uh, theatrical re-release, the 3D re-release back in 2006, they've released it under their own label. Yeah, Disney took this one back. They were like, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll take you now. Didn't want you then, but now. Now we want you. And it is a merchandising juggernaut now. Uh, There's a few pieces of merchandise at my house, as I speak. Before we hit on the really the final film that we're going to go into any real depth on, Uh, A couple big things happened Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg left Disney He left to strike out on With uh, DreamWorks To try and do what he did with Disney With DreamWorks We will maybe at some point down the road Look at DreamWorks But the very short version is it didn't happen Yeah Uh, Their cell drawn division only really released One great animated movie In my opinion I'm going to give them Prince of Egypt Easily
0: Yes I forgot that that was Yeah
1: That was their one Great animated movie That they made Otherwise You know And I'm not counting Their CGI division Which I think is That's a That's a complicated story And we're not going to get into it For this cast But let's Let's address So Katzenberg left And that's Kind of not something That can be ignored For stuff that's going to come A little bit later Also Disney decided They were going to go With direct video Animated movies they decided they were going to get into the OAV market starting with return of jafar which is even as a kid watching it i was like oh this is a step down
0: yeah the only thing i really remember about it is jafar's seizure inducing end yeah
1: it's <laughs> it's not a uh, it's not anywhere near as good as aladdin no I will argue that uh, the line 40 Thieves was better. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one was good. That one was good. That one built up some mythology. Yeah. That one just worked. That one just worked. I I like that one. Um, And that was also the one where Robin Williams, they coerced him to come back. Yeah. Uh, He got a Picasso painting to come back. Really? Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So, Williams came back for that one. We're not even going to address the uh, direct-to-video animated movies. Here's the short answer. Most of them suck. Here's the long answer. Most of them really, really, really suck. I've only seen maybe one or two, and those are by incident. And a couple of them are not bad, actually, but most of them really suck. I mean, this was a blight on the company, and it would ultimately be stopped when John Lasseter took over. Yeah, when he when he saw the Tinkerbell movie and said, wow, this is shit. Actually, I've heard that that one, after some retooling, got pretty good. You know, those actually get theatrical releases overseas.
0: Oh, they did, really? Yeah,
1: yeah those get theatrical releases nice. overseas. Those are actually considered pretty good. Guys, okay, for those of you who haven't uh, noticed, we're doing a column now on direct-to-video animated movies uh, that DC and Marvel are putting out with a couple of indies here and there. Disney never got to this level. That's the short version. They just didn't And then you had, so as I said you, you, we're, we're getting into 1994, let's talk about The Lion King This is unfortunately
0: The only one of these that I did not Get to see in theater And I've seen it twice Yeah, Well I mean I've seen it now mm-hmm. Since the 3D re-release Which
1: is great, yeah. but I did not get to see this one Yeah, I, I saw it in theaters If I had to rank them, this is probably Number 2 in my pick for Second best of the, of this era yeah, I would have to agree with that. If if anything hurts this movie, it's that it probably could have been about 10 to 20 minutes longer. It's very concise. Yeah, it is. This is this is the one that's not based on pre-existing story, but let's face it, this is Hamlet.
0: Yeah, it's also, uh, if you want to get... Uh... <laughs> the Simpsons did a joke on this yes. one. Uh, there's a very shockingly similar uh, movie called Kimba the White Lion
1: which was acknowledged on The Simpsons.
0: You must avenge
1: my death, Kimba. I mean, Simba. Uh, this, This movie, though, really points the way to some of the future of Disney. Okay. Up until now, star voice casting was something that just was limited. It didn't happen all that much. You had, as I said, it happened before, but really more to the point... That's probably unfair Because really what you had Were your working actors Bob Newhart Was a working guy James
0: Earl Jones Was doing a lot of movies At this point I think he did The Sandlot Around this time Yes Yes a year before
1: Jeremy Irons As Scar Matthew Broderick Matthew Broderick Who ironically Does not sing in this movie Despite Actually being a Broadway Legend That's right He does Or he is Well he wasn't then He is now Yeah Um you had him. You had Whoopi Goldberg as one of the hyenas. You also have Cheech, I do believe. Back, he shows up again Back. And has me for it. Um, and the uh, third one is uh, the great Jim Cummings, who, if you don't know the name, just think of a lot of your childhood animation. He was in it. Ah, oh, so uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was young Simba. You know, she's not as well known now, but Moira Kelly, who played Nala, was in a lot of stuff at that time. Oh, nice including um, legendary if anybody asks if you really uh, if you ask the right people the cutting edge which I'm not a fan of that movie but I know of it so <laughs> that's, that's yes yeah, she was in that so you had a really name voice cast probably one of the few names that people weren't as familiar with was uh, a Broadway actor uh, Nathan Lane. yeah that's right who we all do know now in no small part because of his work here. Uh, Lane and Broderick, of course, of course, would go on to work together in the producers' musical. Yeah, and some other things I think. Yeah, they've done a few other things uh, here and there. We've already gripped about the producers' movie musical. Again, see previous casts. Yeah, this is another one where you just kind of come to it, and as I said, my complaints about the pacing side—it's the goddamn Lion King. This was also a time where uh, Mankin stepped back from the music for this one. Tim Rice would stick around as lyricist. But for music they decided to go to Elton John Elton motherfucking John And this is easily some of the best stuff Elton John has ever done I mean Without question This is Elton John on his best day This is legendary music as it should be God this is great music
0: Yeah You know if you just go up to somebody like randomly on the street And just say the words Lion King They'll immediately go "Ah, Yeah
1: exactly I don't know the words to this song. And let's face it, can you listen to that song today and not get chills? It's been 20 years, and that song still gives me chills. God, it's, it's, it's circled life. It's the definition of epic. This is, ugh, oh, I love. The music in this movie is great. Not just that, of course. Um, the one weak link in the movie is really the song that won them the Oscar, Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Yeah. That's the weak link in the movie, easily. For my money circle of life is the iconic number um, I don't know Oscar voters they were they were stupid on that one that's my thought but I think my
0: favorite song in the film is I just can't wait to be king I heard that song recently
1: I can't believe how many of the lyrics I remembered it's it's so catchy um it's by the way if you've never heard Elton John's version of it it's really it's it's great oh nice. I can imagine he gets lively with it. Oh, it it's a nice, very jazzy, very bluesy, just upbeat power number, and it... Oh, he has fun with it. Uh, you play that... I have it on a CD, and, I mean, that's one that I play loud. He... it it works. Um, it, that one probably should have been released to adult radio. I don't know why it wasn't. Um, the other two were huge hits for him.
0: The, uh, I think the one that I've come to appreciate as an adult... Uh, more, more the sequence
1: than the actual song. Be prepared. Yes, uh, Jeremy Irons actually blew out his voice doing this song. Oh, he's actually wow. replaced in the later half of it with uh, Jim Cummings. <laughs> because he did.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, but that's it's chilling. There's some
1: there's some Nazi shit in that. Yeah, they don't even hide it.
0: No, they don't. They're
1: goose stepping it. This was another one. The 3D re-release looked great. It looked like it looked like it was made for it. I don't know how they do that. Well, I think it's because these were movies that lent themselves to it. Um, this just this is a really good-looking movie. I mean, it's the the stuff of the African wilderness just looks gorgeous. Yeah. It is. It is a just a beautiful-looking movie.
0: Of all the movies in this era, uh, this one is probably the most mimicked in pop culture you know the holding up of the lion you know of course the whole circle of life like there are numerous parodies you know the death scene of course and jesus talk about a death
1: scene oh yeah that's just that's when i i went to see it when i went to see it on the in uh, the 3d release first of all they put it on the biggest screen at, at theater which was virtually an imax screen when that moment came, and it played to a sold-out audience on a Tuesday night. When that moment came, you could just hear sniffling throughout the audience. Tears. And this was yeah. a moment that we'd all seen hundreds of times. Ah. Oh, it gets you. It does. This movie, I mean, for these movies, we know y'all know these movies. And uh, you talk about box office on these movies, this one... Blew everything out of the water. This one was for many years the highest-grossing animated movie of all time, and it added a ton of money in its re-release. Actually, because
0: oh, nice! When it, I bet
1: when it did the re-release, it uh, actually uh, topped the uh, box office again.
0: Four hundred twenty-two million. Yeah, is the number, which, if you'll notice, is a lot higher than a hundred eleven million.
1: Yeah, that. That number is important because, even though I think actually a healthy amount of that came, like I think at least fifty to seventy-five million of that came from the re-release. I believe it. That's still about that's still about a threefold growth from um, Little Mermaid, and inflation ain't that big, y'all. No. It was at this point animation was a big game, and. We haven't even discussed the great irony of The Lion King yet. The Lion King was actually the B-movie that people were working on at Disney. If you got sentenced to working on The Lion King, you were not working on the A-list movie. Hmm. As for what that A-list movie was, well, we'll talk about it when we get off The Lion King. But, (sighs) yeah, this is the movie that changed everything for what animation could be. And ironically, I kind of think that that's what became the downfall of Disney in this era because this movie revolutionized what these movies could be this was this actually how do you top it this actually i think the only movie to outgross this movie this year was forrest gump i think that was the only movie to outgross it in 1994 i forrest gump is such a complicated controversial subject i'm gonna say i think lion king has aged better and be done with it yeah yeah i think that's about right yeah Uh, (laughs) um This movie, as I said, it revolutionized what people thought animation could do. The thing about it was, other people were starting to catch up with Disney. Pretty much every studio had an animation game at this point. Fox was picking up uh, animated movies. Warner Brothers was picking them up and starting their own animation division. Uh, Warner Brothers and Fox would start their own animated studio divisions within a year or so, if not at the time of this movie. This was the big moment for drawn Animation This was also the biggest it would ever get
0: Yeah, drawn Animation is uh, dead now I don't want to get
1: off Lion King if, if there's anything you need to say about it Scar is fucking terrifying Yeah, that was the one thing That's I needed about to say all. That's the one thing that we needed to say yeah. But I think that one almost kind of went without saying Is Scar is a great villain That's the thing You've got these four movies with these four great villains Scar is the scariest of them all because he's the one who actually kills. Yeah. He's the one who actually kills. Long
0: live the king. And the monkey is probably uh, the greatest understated side
1: character. Oh, yes. Oh, Rafiki, yes. Rafiki, yeah. Uh, Robert Guillaume. Again, pretty much Robert Guillaume, Rowan Atkinson. Man, this movie really did. this. The bench was deep on this one. That's right. Rowan Atkinson was in this. The bench was deep on this one. This movie, as I said, this was... Uh, this was this was the epoch. I mean, this was this was the moment for animation. This thing was a mega blockbuster. This is the biggest it ever got. And that's where we now have to kind of shift our subject to the movie that was the A movie at Disney, Pocahontas.
0: I've only seen it once. I have no desire really to revisit it.
1: I saw it, it's the first Disney movie that was released in my lifetime that I didn't see in theaters.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: I did see it on video.
0: That kind of says it all. Yeah. Goofy movie, which was released the same year, looms a lot larger in uh, my childhood than this.
1: Mine too, because that one I did see. That one I did see. Actually, a Goofy movie probably had a little bit more impact because Kevin Lima, the director of it, got drafted up to the big leagues to do... uh, he got drafted up to do Tarzan. He worked on Tarzan and uh nice. And again, Disney Toon Studios, but it's it looks gorgeous. It, you it, would it's never a good-looking movie. It's a really good-looking movie. Um uh, it's a sweet movie. It's a really sweet little story. And uh you know, again, that's, that's 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 it's a good movie. Um uh Lima also directed Enchanted.
0: Oh, nice. A film I have yet to see, but I want to.
1: Oh man, really? Yeah need I've to. not
0: seen Enchanted
1: I think pretty much everything that needs to be said About Enchanted can be summed up in one sentence Amy Adams plays the lead Nice She's she's a pretty good barometer of quality As I said with Pocahontas I just don't like I, Here's the thing when I talked about it with Amanda Amanda loves it And I understand why people do love it I just don't like it very much I don't remember any but one of the songs I mean I remember Colors of the Wind Because it was everywhere but by the way, for all the talk of oh, this is Disney's first movie based on a a true story, yeah, yeah, right. That's I'm gonna say yeah, right and be done with it.
0: It's a big thing to get into, but that's not how it went down. Not even I'm remotely. Fucking
1: kidding me. Not even remotely. Let's just not even we're not even going there. Um, see, Terrence Malik, I guess is my advice. But even even then, Malik wasn't exactly faithful to the facts. Um, Fun fact, this movie actually does share one actor with uh, Terrence Malick's version of this event. That actor, the goddamn Batman. (laughs)
0: Nice. Yes. Christian Bale was in it, really? Yeah. Yeah, he's in it. He's John Smith, isn't he?
1: No. No, Mel Gibson was John Smith.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Speaking of subjects that we are not even remotely going to touch. No. Oh, actually, I take that back. Oh, I'm wrong about that. Two actors are in it. Because uh, Irene Bedard, who voiced Pocahontas, is also in that one. She plays her mother in that one. So, oh, nice. This movie, I know that a lot of people love it, and I'm almost split on: Do I consider this part of the Renaissance or not? Because it did well. It didn't do. It did not do anywhere near the numbers of Lion King, but it did well.
0: If it is, it's probably tapering it off.
1: I, I think this is the point where things start to go awry yeah because just to me this movie felt like they wanted an oscar and that's openly what they've said inside of the studio is they were chasing an oscar with this movie i believe it and that's the problem with this movie they were chasing an oscar and mm, this this is the only animated movie i've ever seen that i would call oscar bait this came out in 1995 and this was not the future of animation we also have to address the big thing that happened in 1995 that changed things. We're not going to hit Toy on Story. we're not going to yeah. we're not going to hit on Toy Story at any length because Pixar is its own cast. Just to say it was a game changer. Toy Story was a game changer. It's Toy Story. I think it was a game changer for reasons more having to do with its script than its animation. Look, I love Toy Story. I watched I've watched all the specials so far, which are great. If you haven't seen them, watch them. They're hilarious. Yes. It's Toy Story. What do you say? It's it's Toy Story. Um as I said, things started to change and I'm just going to kind of go into rattle off mode here and just hitting on some of these animated movies that hit. The next year, in 1996, you had uh The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I quite liked it's still a really bad idea for a movie
0: one of the things that in in hindsight i don't really like is the criticism of course that um it seems really weird like there's a single scene that i remember in it it's like oh yeah you should be with you and i wind up alone yeah yeah that's that doesn't work that doesn't work um because i'm hideous it's like uh even as a kid, you know, even before it struck me as kind of offensive, I knew it was kind of off. It's it's an
1: off, and that's just it. They were trying. Th- this was two Disney movies in a row where the main characters don't wind up together. Yeah, I don't I don't care too much for the Hunchback. Um, it's a, it was a bad, horrible idea on the, in the first place. It's probably the best executed version it could be, of it. But it's a bad idea. Ne- in nineteen ninety seven, you had Hercules. I love Hercules. That's the same. I love Hercules. Uh I almost feel like I kind of, kind of want to ignore talking about it because I do love it so much. We mentioned before how much James Woods enjoyed doing this movie. We did. <laughs> um, Hercules is awesome. It if you're mad because it's inaccurate to the Greek mythology, that's the fun of it. It's riffing yeah. on the mythology. It's pretty openly a parody of it. And it's wonderful. I I love this movie. So, that's that one. Milan hits in nineteen ninety eight and actually does pretty well. It actually probably of the of this fallow period for Disney. It actually did pretty well. I don't know. I I don't know that I've ever seen it all the way through. Yeah, I have a couple times. It's not bad. It's not bad. Tarzan nineteen ninety nine. I don't know that I've seen this one at all.
0: Really? I think I've seen it once or twice. It was
1: alright. The animation looks really good. Yeah, I, again, Lima was brought up to do this one. I've heard it's pretty good and I like I like Tarzan. I'm, I'm you know, I'm down for a good
0: version of that. Hiring Phil Collins may have been a mistake, but Yeah. I you see I like Collins. I'm I'm not against him. It just I don't know, the music he wrote just kind of felt off. It's uninspired.
1: It. Yeah. Two thousand we come to a movie that I did see on video and Really just uh oh, awesome movie Uh, The Emperor's New Groove Yes That's actually one
0: that shh, Don't tell anybody I'm getting my niece for Christmas She's never seen it, I think she'll
1: love it This, is, this was Disney going full on cartoon <laughs> Now, this one had one of the most troubled histories Of any of their movies To put it politely But what they wound up with Was such a fun, goofy Silly Campy I mean, you talk about villains who are threatening. Eartha Kitt in this movie is not threatening at all. No, but she's Eartha Kitt, and she's kicking ass.
0: There's so many. There's so many little details to be had in this film, little fun things.
1: This is just a good movie.
0: And for God's sake, Patrick Warburton, come on.
1: Patrick Warburton is a treasure. And this movie actually, it didn't do so well at the box office because that's the thing. At this point, as we're going down the line, the grosses they're not so hot at this point. This one didn't do very well.
0: I think this is actually
1: uh well, it's probably
0: not the last one, but it's the last of the Disney films that uh,
1: uh we saw all together as a family. This was this one I think has had much better legs. Uh it, I think it's actually aged far better than the movie that kicked its ass at the box office, The Grinch. Oh,
0: f- oh god.
1: I'm sorry. I know so many people who love it. I hate that movie. So, <laughs> I am sad to say I also saw that in theater. I am too. (laughs) I am too. I know. I feel bad about it. I feel bad about it. Uh, I ugh. What do I say about? Let's just ignore the Grinch. Let's. uh, We're not. That's not. Fuck the Grinch. No. Two thousand one was Atlantis: The Lost Empire, and that was Disney trying so hard to try to appeal to little boys. I put that movie in the same class as Titan A.E. from Fox. Titan A.E. is awful. I mean it's just awful These were movies where they were trying to appeal to an older audience And trying to broaden animation's appeal And it flopped um, It was bad That's just This was bad From this point on Disney was kind of trying to spit them out the door They just had one unexpected thing happen in 2002 When Lilo and Stitch hit And I did see that one in theaters I didn't I did But I loved it I, I love this movie I love this movie to death Um I actually had a friend, uh, my friend Lauren, slid me in because she was working at the theater at the time. I went to see this one. I loved it. This I love this one. Oh, nice.
0: I hate, I hate to say I didn't see this one until a few years ago.
1: It's good. It's so... It's just fun. I mean, this movie is just laugh out loud hilarious, and I love this movie. So, And this one did very well. This one actually did kind of give Disney a little bit of a spark. But after this, you have Brother Bear, which I didn't see. Yeah, me neither. You have Home on the Range, which I didn't see. <sighs> which I really didn't see. Yeah, nobody <laughs> saw that one really tanked. No.
0: Let me let me look at the numbers for that one. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ.
1: I think Brother Bear at least outgrossed Looney Tunes back in action. Yeah. So take that for what it's uh, worth, god damn it.
0: Lifetime gross is fifty million. Oh no one on the range.
1: That's fifty million fifteen years after Little Mermaid. <sighs> Ten years after Lion King. That's how bad it got for Disney. Yeah. I've never seen Home on the Range. I've heard it's okay at best. At this point, DreamWorks is lapping them. At this point, Pixar is lapping them. I mean, this was 2004. That was the same year as, uh, what's it called? Uh, The Incredibles. Disney got left in the dust. Uh, Let's see. Disney would put their cell-drawn animation on hold. They released um, an animated... They released Chicken Little in 2005, their first CGI movie. I didn't see it.
0: It was okay, not great. The design, the design work was way better than the script. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Great concept. <sighs> the most horrible Deus Ex Machina I've ever seen. Basically, let me tell you the ending. Sure. Because I'm never going to see it. I won't even put a spoiler tag on this because I just don't give a shit. But it's 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 nine years old yeah it's nine years old fuck it i am so pissed at the ending of this because the way it ends like it builds and builds with oh my god the aliens are invading yes it's an alien film um you know and they they build up the suspense they build up this intrigue about you know what these things are what their motivation is blah blah the ending of this fucking film is oh it was all a giant misunderstanding we're just gonna go back to our planet that's how it ends. It so no, pissed me off. No, no.
1: That was... No. no. that's not an ending. Um, No, it's not. Honestly, what happens after... Ch- Chicken Little actually does better than expected, but I kind of lose track of their animation division for a period here. They released a few films that they didn't exactly do in-house. 2007, they had to actually outsource the Celdron animated scenes for uh, Enchanted.
0: Really? Oh, no.
1: That's pretty embarrassing. That's horrible, yeah uh, Although again, Enchanted, I I love the hell out of Enchanted uh, That's that In, I think it was two thousand two thousand nine 2009 was Princess and the Frog And this is an important date This was their big return to, see, to drawn animation Disney was back Oh wait, I just remembered something I overlooked a movie in 2008 Bolt Damn it, I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have done that I should not have overlooked it. Or wait, was that 2009?
0: That was 2008. 2008. Bolt was.
1: Yeah, Bolt. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have overlooked Bolt. Don't overlook that one. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Go watch it. Bolt's awesome.
0: I'll have to do that now, but I i always heard that it was, uh, you know, they uh, at that point, uh, some of the Pixar crew kind of bled over.
1: Yeah, that was where they started. Um, uh, About this time, Disney decided, okay, we can't try to beat Pixar at their own game. We're buying you and gave John Lasseter control of the studio. Lasseter's first action, as I said, was shut down the direct-to-video animation, aside from the Tinkerbell movies, which, again, I've heard are pretty good. And he started consulting on movies, and I think Bolt was one of the first ones that he consulted on. I, I, I love Bolt. I really don't think this one should be overlooked in the Disney canon. I think it's a quiet movie, and it was a huge success for them, I should stress. I remember hearing
0: good buzz on that one Yeah,
1: but anyway, let's get on The Princess and the Frog real quick Because I just kind of want to tear this movie apart briefly I don't like The Princess and the Frog We talked a little bit on it But
0: I don't think we really uh, Ripped it to shreds
1: I'm not saying that it deserves to be ripped to shreds Because I don't care enough about it This was Disney trying so hard To come back And with no Sense of what they were really doing
0: It was mostly we're shown by the end campaign It's like, oh look We're doing 2D animation again.
1: Yeah. Look at how vibrant it is. And ignore the fact that the script stinks. Yeah. Ignore that the characters are bland and not at all likable. Ignore that at one point they kill one of the uh, sidekicks. Yeah. It's me that's saying this, but man, this movie is politically correct. (laughs) I don't hate what they were trying to do with this movie. I like what they were trying to do. I love the idea. I don't like the execution. This is not I don't say I wouldn't say it's a bad movie, but it's not a satisfying movie at all. This one doesn't do it for me. I'm I'm sorry. I know there are some that really do feel for this movie. It doesn't do it for me at all. Because I wanted to touch then on the movie that I think kind of restarted the renaissance. Because we need to acknowledge the fact Disney is in a second renaissance right now.
0: And boy, do we hope they don't screw it up. Yeah.
1: Out. This time, I think they're going to kind of. I think they're going to manage this one a little bit better. Um, they are in a second renaissance big time, and the movie that I think kicked it off was Tangled. Tangled was where a lot of their veterans went over to the CGI division. Uh, Glenn Keane worked extensively on it and was going to make his directorial debut until health problems stood in his way. Up until now, like between 1994 and this movie, none of the films I would say stood on that level. Tangled is on that level. Uh, Tangled is its renaissance level This was a movie where By god they got it right The formula was back And that's the thing With this movie they went in and they embraced What they were wholeheartedly Maybe the advertising team didn't But the people making it embraced What they were It's a gorgeous movie to look at I mean it's, it's really They did a nice job of bringing the Disney style To CGI at long last Mhm character designs were great the songs are still not quite where they need to be but we're going well, we're going to overlook that for the moment i don't know this this movie works i believe this was the first time since beauty and the beast that all the actors sang their own parts nice yeah which helps because they hired a mix of broadway talent and actors who could sing this is this is the best part mandy moore has ever gotten in any in t- any medium she's She's good here, but Zachary Levi as uh, Flynn is just such a great character. Okay, that's the thing. As bad as the marketing was in terms of trying to divide it, I do think it worked because Flynn is such an important character. Yeah, he is. I just dig this movie. That's really kind of all I have to say about it. I mean, as I said, this one kind of kicked things back into gear for Disney. They took 2011 off. 2012 brought us Wreck-It Ralph. Superb. Superb. I love Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph is awesome. Wreck-It Ralph finally got us John C. Riley in a key role in an animated movie Ah, uh, yes I dig Wreck-It Ralph And that brings us to the climactic point that we have to hit And that is, we uh, we talked about the marketing of Frozen on the previous cast Yeah Let's just acknowledge that, wow, what a monster this movie has been It's a train they're still riding a year later If anything, more so, because this is a license to print money for Disney
0: Jesus. I know I know a guy who works at the Disney store and uh, they were so happy to get Big Hero 6 uh, stuff in because, wow, were they tired of
1: Frozen. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another thing. We should acknowledge that Big Hero 6 hit this year. I have not seen it yet. You have. Oh, it's great. It's I highly recommend. It's, uh...
0: It is basically Disney Animation's version of a Marvel film. I've heard
1: wonderful about it. I, you know, Disney, ha- they have an ambitious slate ahead. Um... I just, things are good right now at the House of Mouse, and I think part of what helps, I think, that is that they're able to take a little bit more risks in the animated division, because they went out and bought two, uh, they went out and bought three major forces. They own Marvel outright. They now own Lu- Lucasfilm, they and now they own Lucasfilm and they own Pixar. Yes, Disney can pretty much buy whatever they want to, and when they buy something, they do a good job with it. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new Pixar movie, by the way, but. Oh yeah, the second.
0: I wasn't really sold on the first trailer for it, but the second one. The second one looks
1: intriguing. It looks hysterical. I'm I'm excited about that one. So, as I said, you kind of can see we, the thing about Frozen is I think Frozen, if it were to be released in the midst, just to get back on that one really quick, if it was to be released in the midst of the Disney Renaissance, I think it could have. I think the only movie better than it is Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it would have fit. It, it would have. Uh, I think the songs are probably the, I think it's probably the best score, save for, no, I don't I wouldn't even say save for any of them, I think it's probably the best score of these films that we're talking about, um, at least overall, I don't know, maybe Lion King's a little bit better, but Frozen would have fit, um, and that's the point, is Disney, they're back alive, and I'm happy to see it, now don't screw it up, right, don't fuck it up, Disney, come on, because we're, we're watching.
0: What do we got next? This is our last one for the year, I believe. Yeah.
1: Uh, so happy New Year
0: too. Uh,
1: okay, let's go from extremes here. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna go next from Disney to one of our favorite punching bags. We're gonna look at Frank Miller's *The Spirit*. Mm. This one's already in the can. Trust us. It is. It's it's <laughs> a slugfest. We're gonna. It's a lost tapes episode. Uh, Lost tapes, which we haven't done for a year. Yeah, we haven't. It's been a year. They're just we've we've had them scheduled, but these are the ones that have to get bumped back. Yeah, they just have to get bumped just for our major episodes. Mm-hmm. And this one deserves it. This one, as I said, it's in the can, and we we're angry. So
0: we're uh, angry in a lukewarm fashion.
1: Yeah, that sucks. Next.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yes. That's what's next. You can find us on our blog and the source of our cast at thefilmroom.podbean.com. You can find us on our side blog, Um, You'll find both of our works there. We write on that. Uh, just, like, little side topics that wouldn't necessarily make for full-length episodes, but, you know, stuff we want to get off our chests. As mentioned in the middle of the cast, we have... Uh, our first like little regular feature on there, uh, comics for rent, where we talk about the DC uh, animated universe, the direct-to-video animated universe, and so look for that. And like we already ha- you uh, you already have a couple up. I have a couple that are in the works. Yeah, looking forward to hearing those. I just need to get my hands on one of them and rewatch it. You can find us on our twitters. Austin is at User, I am at primitive p r d Both of us are. Uh, film room cast like us on facebook share our statuses like share comment all that good stuff facebook.com slash the film room and you can email us please do at filmroompodcast at gmail.com so uh happy new year everybody and see you in season three yep onward and upward we
1: In it. It's a small world after all. No, no, anything but that.